0: Hello and welcome to the Driven by Diversity podcast, I'm Mariana and I'm Steph and every week we shine the spotlight on underrepresented groups in the world of racing. Our guests share their journey into the sport and also delve into what diversity and inclusion means to them. We hope that we can provide you with real role models who you can relate to and who represent you and more than that that you'll feel inspired and encouraged to know that you can make it in motorsport no matter your background. A strong 20 years in the business has seen this comms, content and
1: marketing maestro work across almost every series and category imaginable in both the two and four wheeled world, including F1, MotoGP, NASCAR, Rally, Superbikes and the Isle of Man TT to name but a few. Armed with an unrivaled Little Black Book and a global network of contacts in the automotive and motorsport sphere, she boasts enviable brand and athlete expertise ranging from Ford to Monster, from Lewis Hamilton to Valentino Rossi. But most importantly to us, she is the brainchild of Driven by Diversity, championing a collaborative effort to address the diversity issues faced by the industry. Listen as we catch up with Lindsay Orridge.
0: So, not many people can say that they've been in the motorsport industry for twenty years. Can you walk us through the various roles you've had throughout your career? Um, I can, and also
2: would like to advocate for the face cream that I use because of <laughs> a lot of stress and no sleep. No, I'm kidding. I've got a lot of uh, bronzer on today. Um, yeah, twenty years. It always really blows my mind because I live in Silverstone, sort of like area, motorsport valley area. So I continuously bump into people that. I worked with 20 years ago. That's just not something that most people experience unless you stay at the same company. So it's really odd because around here, you'd think that like the whole world works in motorsport, you know, Christian Horner lives across the field from my house. I would say at least 60, 70% of the people who are my neighbours kind of work around here and work in motorsport as well. So it's a kind of weird thing, but yeah, 20 years, like it actually makes me feel old and I'm only 36. Like, how is that even possible? So I didn't go to university, which, um, you know, anyone who's met me for more than five minutes, I won't surprise them. Um, <laughs> i, I I barely finished school. Um, but I, I didn't have any desire to go to university. I just wanted to get out of work. And I actually didn't specifically want to work in the motorsport industry, but I loved cars and loved driving. And like the second I could get my driving license, I was away. That was me done. So by a weird sort of stroke of coincidence, I was doing a college course at the time, which was to do with event management, which was just kind of... like really I left school at 17 I didn't even finish my A-levels just wanted to get the hell out of there I hated it and um that was my compromise with my parents that I would at least do something and um I had to do a six-week placement for that course over the sort of summer period and I thought to myself what on earth am I going to do this is going to be so boring like what a boring summer and I just thought oh bugger it I'll um I'll ring Silverstone so I rang the, um, the main number at Silverstone because I you know, grew up sort of I don't know, 10 miles from Silverstone and asked to be put through to the press office, just kind of picked a random thing. And I was just <laughs> like, I know the press office, maybe. And Claire Williams answered. And, um, and I just said, hi, you don't know me, but would you like some free work experience? I've got to do six weeks minimum for my college course. Can I help? And, you know, I barely finished the sentence and she was like, when can you come in? So um, I kind of turned up a few days later. So that would have been 2001 Grand Prix. So yeah, this is like my 20th year of working in this sort of thing. So I was there for six weeks, which turned into six months. And um, I just, I, I can't really even tell you what I did. But lots of stuff. And Katie, who is still the press officer at Silverstone, was on maternity leave at the time with her firstborn. And um, I sat in her desk and just did whatever needed to happen and um, all sorts of stuff. So I kind of helped out there. And then because that was on my CV, because I'd ended up being there for six months, the next time that I actually applied for a full-time job, once that course had finished, it stuck out like a sore thumb, obviously. And I applied to a marketing and sort of events agency that worked with... Volkswagen and Bentley and Ford. And yeah, I remember I submitted my CV and um, I ended up going to Racing Line, the events agency, which still exists today, it's based in Milton Keynes. And I was there for about four, four and a half years. And they like, literally, I kind of walked through the door and um, the first thing I did for them was host uh, two suites of people at um, the F1, at the Grand Prix. Yeah, so it just kind of all went from there, really. And when I left there, I had a you know a few months of living in London with my girlfriends and um, not doing anything productive whatsoever. And um, and then I got kind of headhunted by Ford, who were you know a previous client whilst as at racing line um, being their event manager. Um, and I went off to run all of the kind of sponsorship and events and hospitality sort of marketing activations for Ford for the World Rally Championship for Formula Ford, single-seaters. We got involved with a bit of the kind of NASCAR and V8 stuff as well. And I was there for three seasons and then sort of promptly the plug got pulled on all of us because we were the naughty ones who spent all the money. We didn't make any money. And that was September time, so nothing happens in the motorsport industry. At that time of year, nobody's moving. You have to wait till the end of the year, basically. And in that period of time after leaving Ford, I went to Rolls Royce and launched some cars for Rolls Royce as well, doing like some global car launches and that, which was just a bit of a laugh. And then, um, yeah, I went to Monster and I headed up all of their motorsport communications. Um, And because I was based in Europe, that basically meant everything, you know, so everything motorsport was pretty much based out of Europe. We had a bit of stuff going on in Australia and stuff in America. But yeah, that was four years of my life that um, I, I, I could not sum it up for you. Like I literally couldn't sum it up for you. It was absolutely insane at moments because I looked after everything that had an engine and a monster sticker on it so I had Lewis Lewis was the new driver at Mercedes at the time so my first event with monster um and obviously I've kind of worked with him previously because of Ken my first event was at Silverstone with Lewis and he was the new guy at Mercedes and Iva was with him and that's where I first met Iva. so the blossoming of a beautiful relationship (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> and for everyone who doesn't know, Ivor is one of the founding um, members as well of Driven
2: by Diversity. He is he's also just hilarious and like the youngest looking person in the world. Honestly, <laughs> dude is he's
1: eternal youth,
2: mid to late fifties. He doesn't look it. <laughs> He looks younger than I do. It's really, really disappointing. <laughs> so yeah, he um, that's where we met for the first time. So yeah, I went off to there and then I, it was just, it was nuts. I had Lewis and it was Nico at the time and then... People like Valentino Rossi, Ken, um, you know Kurt Busch and you know NASCAR people like, like BJ Baldwin, Vaughan Gittin Jr, like all these athletes. So yeah I had this sort of bonkers four years at Monster where I kind of built their comms team around um, everything that we were doing because it wasn't really very formalized before I kind of went and they were kind of you know freestyling it so the running joke was that i was like the kind of acceptable non-tattooed non-pierced face of monster so i was like <laughs> i could walk into the bbc and be like hey you want to do a thing mm-hmm. and, was like, oh, right. and me. so it was quite funny really so we kind of yeah we had some we had some good times there but man I'm like i didn't sleep for four years it was insane oh, intense super intense yeah
1: well talk to us about then moving away from monster and setting up your own um organizations so the motorsport collective where you are now and what you're doing now and the reason why you decided to you set that up absolutely
2: so when i left monster i was completely burned out and i actually i mean i slept straight for like six weeks and um my my, my main sort of thing was that i was very i think i'm very fortunate in this industry you know I've, I've definitely definitely worked hard and earned it that's not not up for negotiation by any stretch of the imagination but um i unlike a lot of people who do the sort of marketing comms pr kind of roles in this industry i didn't just Aim to get to F1 and stay there. I've done every type of motor mm-hmm. you possibly imagine, you know, Dakar rally, drifting, rally cross rally, uh, V8s, NASCAR, you know, single seater staff, two wheel staff, four wheel staff, everything you could possibly imagine, Man I'm TT. you know, sort of every single type of event. Um, and that's quite unusual. Most people sort of specialize in something or stick yeah. with one team or that sort of role. So um, I kind of thought to myself, well, I know that when i've like lost jobs before like when I lost my job at Ford and other times where I've kind of just needed to like find some work, my little black book is actually super super valuable because it isn't just the same pool of people that I can call every time it's a mm-hmm. huge range of people. So I thought, well, that's got to have some value to it. And that can't just be a value to me. I wanted that to be a value to other people. So I decided to set up a networking group, which is what the Motorsport Collective was originally. It was literally like written in my notebook on a beach in LA. I set it up as a networking group, which was super, super inclusive. Um, it was anybody who'd just come from like graduating um, or who would, like want, was looking for actively looking for work in the industry right up to team principal ceos so there was no um, like barrier to entry apart from a really small like joining fee which was like 59 pounds um and then we had cool events the, old, the whole idea as well was to have like cool events where it wasn't just the same people talking because this industry you know the same people get the same platform all the time and that's you know why we're doing what we're doing with this yeah to give other people who've got interesting stories to share like that platform to share them and we had like interesting people come and you know talk about things and we had them in cool venues like we did a yacht party in monaco one um f1 weekend we did our launch event at seo house in oxfordshire and yeah we have w- there was always a charitable element so whatever um whoever came had to bring something that could be auctioned for charity and our chosen charity was November. so i got involved with in ah. quite as well which we like, auction off a load of stuff for them but the whole idea was let's kind of make it super inclusive so that there's no restriction you could if you're an engineer a marketing person a recruiter you know um anybody media anything anybody could come and it wasn't hierarchical it wasn't like yeah. well you could only this level and come to these events if you're a ceo because that's what a lot of other organizations in this industry are like and they're all very very male dominated like the whole industry is and i really wanted it to be somewhere that just I felt like Casual and there was no dress code, and you didn't wear a name badge. You just picked a sticker that represented what you did. So you kind of, you know, if you were a driver, it had a helmet. It was engineer, had a spanner, you know, whatever. Um, and then yeah, we had a lot of fun with that over a couple of years. But what kind of came off the back of that was then me kind of feeling a bit more comfortable in working out what I wanted to do going forwards and then I ended up carrying on basically the same stuff I've done for years which is marketing comms content PR stuff for various different people different drivers so I always did stuff for Ken continue to do stuff for him um people like Vaughan like other drivers that I've worked with for years and yeah the the marketing sort of agency sort of side of it kind of became um grew out of that but the whole again the whole point of that was that it, it wasn't just me doing everything it was me kind of like overseeing things and being sort of strategy but pulling in like really good freelance talent and giving people opportunities to do things so if we had a big project for example that wasn't just something that works just for, for me to kind of do more than more than I could um, cope with which was basically every project I would have someone who I knew was an absolute expert in something but we'd always have you know like a kind of junior and someone who could come and like get that experience and and kind of work on things from there so it was just a super nice way of kind of you know
0: passing the experience down
2: yeah and I think that's just something that we, this industry is so competitive on the track that it, that spills out into mm-hmm. stuff in a completely unnecessary and unhelpful way and I've done roles which have required a huge amount of collaboration and that's that's very much kind of me just in general like I, I don't really just like doing things on my own I love having like other people and other ideas and getting more opinions than just yours and sort of blindly bashing on through, you know. That's why I've been around for so long, it's because none of the ideas are my own. Um. <laughs> but it, it really kind of, I, I just don't think that's something we do really very well in this industry. And I, I felt so strongly about that, and I still do now, that essentially that's what Driven by Diversity evolved into. We, we'd kind of helped everybody we could. Everybody started to mm-hmm. get to that, and they were back, bumping into each other at, races without needing the most networking group so it was kind of like okay well crack on like we don't need to have these events anymore but what we wanted to do was always try and work out because by that point iva had kind of come on board to help and so did sarah franklin who's sort of motorsport legal uh she's fantastic to kind of brainstorm what we could do and how we could do things and widen our networks but that that core principle of my contact list is not only valuable to me it's valuable to Mm -hmm. lots of people and if I open up mine and everybody opens up theirs you're not giving away trade secrets you're not stealing work from each other there's enough work to go around I mean obviously not in 2020 you're like Mm -hmm. anomaly um, (laughs) um, but this year is an exact proof of why we need that because if you just keep everything to yourself and you don't want to share anything or tell anybody there'll come a point like in 2020 Where that doesn't fly anymore because you are going to need help from someone else, or you are going to need another idea, or even just to sort of say, like, I have a really open door policy of people sort of in the industry, even people who don't really know very well, you know, as long as it's a genuine request and it's not just someone is like fishing for, you know, someone's email address to spam them or something like that. But if you've got an idea or a thing that you really want to get done, and that tiny piece of the jigsaw puzzle is just getting it in front of the right person, if I know Mm -hmm. them, I'll help you do that you know and they're not doing that to get anything any gain for myself it's just you pay it forward and it'll come around you know I just I think there's a lot of people in this industry who maybe are in this industry because they found themselves in this industry maybe their surname fits maybe they're you know someone's related to someone or something like that and I think they're very protective of that which yeah they're only
0: looking out for themselves.
2: Yeah. And I think, I don't think that's necessarily coming from a a nasty place sometimes, but mm-hmm. it can be really, really unfriendly, this industry. I've walked into paddocks before where I thought, what? Like, <laughs> what do people want to kill me. Like I <laughs> But it does, it feels super overwhelming. And I think if you're not used to going into those environments and realizing that's just kind of, everyone's just getting on with their job and everybody's busy. Yeah. No one cares about you. They're just stressed about what they're doing. And everybody's got that one specific role to play, whether it's just putting the lollipop out or, you know, filling the car or whatever it is or serving the food or doing an interview or whatever. No one cares about what anybody else is doing. As long as everybody's doing their job, it all works. Yeah. Super, super unfriendly. And I just, I hate that. Like, that is my worst nightmare. Like, I've always felt really awful for people who are new in the team who turn up and, you know, everyone's just like,
0: meh. Yeah, I can imagine it can be really daunting if you're new into the paddock or into the industry. So having something like the Motorsport Collective, they can help you form those relationships in advance, I guess is such a useful tool. And like you said, it shouldn't be a big deal helping other people and helping people connect and share their ideas with the right people, because it doesn't take away from anyone's success. So hopefully we will see more of that going forward. And bringing things forward to today, can you tell us about setting up Driven by Diversity and where that came from and some of its aims? Yeah,
2: absolutely. So like I mentioned earlier, it was sort of um, an extension of what we were doing in the Motorsport Collective in the networking group. And we wanted to kind of turn our attention to a part of the industry that actually needed our assistance because we had a really kind of combined kind of collective um, power in being able to connect Anybody in the industry really and get a lot of stuff done. So it was always one of those things that we sort of mulled over of like, how can we do it? And Ivor and I talked at length about, you know, do we just get involved with a specific charity and just help them? Do we just help students? So we've been speaking to student motorsport a lot um, and, and working out how we could do things with them. And we never really kind of finalized it last year until like the beginning of this year. And it was like, right, okay. We can see that there's a need in terms of um from a diversity point of view, <clears throat> and not just to do with gender diversity, because I think people who look like me have been pointed at for years as mm-hmm. diversity. And it's it's like, well we've got, you know, we've let five percent of our industry as women and it's like everyone sort of pats themselves on the back and like that that's done, you know. Well, we've done it, we've done diversity bit. And I don't agree with that at all. I've never agreed with that. And I've always thought that, you know, sort of, there've been some great programmes that have been set up to get women involved in motorsport in various different um, ways, all of which have all contributed towards that more women working in the industry. But that is not diversity, because if you look at the uh, cross-section of women, who work in the industry most of them look like me <laughs> you know they're all from the home counties <laughs> largely for people who work in the UK because of the area that we grew up in and the you know the area where a lot of people are based and whilst there's nothing wrong with that that's not diversity and um it just sort of I don't know it just really irks me that that's the way that it's sort of kind of like you know done and I just I just don't think that that's right at all so I really wanted to you know sort of to do something where we were doing, you know, some good and we're we're a real force to be reckoned with. I think when we get a group of people together in this industry, because we work so quickly and efficiently, because we have to regardless of what like efficiency is the key. And I think when you want to do something, like you'd better move out of our way because we will get it done in like absolutely record time. And I really wanted to harness that power. So Ivor and I have been talking for a long time about how we can kind of solve these sorts of, well, you know, we immediately solve them, but you know, have an impact on these things. So um, 2020 came around and obviously everything kind of went to shit (laughs) in the industry. Mm -hmm. And we thought, well, everyone that we kind of need to help us and who is sitting around with nothing to do at the moment, we might as well harness that even easier because normally we'd have that period of like January, February and then everybody's gone again. So um, so yeah, it kind of worked out all right to the end, really. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, I think um, it doesn't need to be any more complicated than everybody knowing what needs to be done, and everybody just getting on with it. And I think it's very, very easy with these big global social issues to feel completely overwhelmed by having an impact on them. Mm. It's like climate change, isn't it? It's like, Oh, you know, nobody in most sports wants to admit that they're having an impact on climate change in a bad way. Um, everybody wants to kind of do the thing that is, you know, sort of going towards helping, you know, sort of uh, the effects of climate change. And I think it's the same with the sort of diversity issues, because if you think about it, an industry that is largely made up of white men, to be completely blunt, which it is, um, if you look at it globally, it really, really is. Um, isn't diverse by any stretch of the imagination, it's just not, even if some of the people within that maybe come from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, which most of them don't, um, even if some of them come from, you know, sort of different geographical locations, it's just not going to be a diverse mix of people. So trying to think about the big, big global issue of racism and, you know, sort of diversity and equality and inclusion it can feel utterly overwhelming you think well there's nothing we can do about it but if everybody individually does something that has influence in their own specific area even if you just scale that down just the motorsport industry like we can actually have an impact on those things
1: absolutely i agree
2: you know and i think that i think that's missed a lot of the time and it's ironic really because this whole industry is built on human capital it's Mm -hmm. built on people doing very specific things that are normally small tiny little bits of effort to have an overall effect on a car going quicker around a corner so yeah. how can you not understand that concept that's to me is just like it's a no brainer yeah if you're fishing from a pool of not even 50% of the world you know if we're just talking about men yeah you're only fishing from white men who can afford to race if you're talking about from the driving point of view yeah which does then have an impact on the people who work in the industry it absolutely does We're not finding the best talent like we're finding the mm-hmm. talent that we're finding from that pool of people so even just mm-hmm. from the driving point of view if we've managed to fish from a very very limited pool of people in the world and we found lewis and we found Valentino rossi and we found you know sort of any number of other drivers regardless of the color of their skin but they're all men. Mm. wonder what we'd find if we just opened it up to women more. Which obviously there's been a lot of efforts going towards doing that of late. But also to people from different parts of the world, different levels of physical ability, and different socioeconomic levels. Like that's just untapped talent waiting to yeah. be found. And yeah. that's what this industry thrives on. Like the next big driver. The next oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Like how is that not? We talk about it, but we
1: need to look for it harder and in different ways because it, it just won't happen otherwise because as you say you're you're only selecting from a, a very small pool of talent
2: and i think that's the the biggest biggest sort of like if you put it on that scale it feels just like overwhelming and that, don't get me wrong there are days where i wake up and just think what are we doing <laughs> <laughs> what like we can't solve this we think, well no actually we can so essentially the way that we operate is a big network of people. So exactly the same as that I've done with my business for years mm-hmm. and the way that I did with the networking group for years, all of whom who've got experience in some form, they might be an absolute expert in um, two wheel side of things and engineering. But if that person comes from a different background, either because they're black or they are Asian or they are uh, maybe from, I don't know, a sort of a, a socioeconomic status that maybe isn't the norm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to have a perspective on things that will help us solve these problems. So find those people, put them all in a room together at the moment, like remotely, um, and work out what are the issues? Why are there fewer people that look like you or are from the same background as you coming into this industry and find the solution to solve it. Even if that's on a really micro level, because eventually that will be a macro thing. Yeah. And I just think, um, so much untapped talent out there for driving, you know, from a on-screen talent point of view, like that's just really exciting to me. It really, really is. Um, And I think it really doesn't have to be kind of that overwhelming, how do we solve this? Because it's like, how do you eat an elephant? Yeah, one bite at a time. You don't think about the whole big problem. You just say, right, well, I know personally that I can give people advice in my specific areas of expertise, And I can give you a really good perspective on what it's like to be a woman working in this industry. A white woman with lots of privilege who grew up in a very nice area, which has got all the privileges that afforded me and the ability to be near places that, you know, sort of work in this environment and in this industry. But I can tell you what it's really like, you know, and and I can actually help to sort of solve the, well, maybe women don't come into this industry because, you know, there's there's plenty of the people that have those experiences, who come from all these different backgrounds. So we've just got to kind of get everyone together and work out how we solve it. And the way that we've kind of done it so far since the beginning of the year has been really, really effective in the the big sort of picture thing of just saying to people like, do you know how to communicate about this? Because there's a lot of people, Mm -hmm. if you are basically a mostly white, mostly male community, you're probably not very likely to feel confident about talking about things that aren't to do with the way that you've experienced life don't try and do it on your own ask and we'll we've got all the people who can help put that together because they're comms experts and they're people from different backgrounds who can say you might not want to phrase it like this you might want to phrase it like this and to actually dig into those sorts of areas and then say can we help you do this you know can we come up with some ideas that can actually help you solve this um that don't sort of fall into the tokenist sort of side of things that don't look like you're trying to crack a nut with a sledgehammer um and don't sort of have that like knee jerk oh you know we've got a black person on screen now so done it's like no yeah. not done the systemic problems that the world is facing mm. are no different from what the uh, the motorsport industry is facing yeah it's just a little microcosm of that mm-hmm. and i think there's no quick fix like mm. there isn't anything that's you know needs to be done but the actual collective power that we've got amongst all these people who are so smart and good people who want to see things change. Like I'm not doing this so that I I can pat myself on the back or so that it changes for me. I'm doing it so that in five years time or 10 years time, that there's other people who have come into this industry who feel like they belong and add their amazing talent to the industry, which is what we need to secure the future of our industry. Mm It is aging population who like motorsport we have to appeal to a wider and a younger demographic of people yeah absolutely so if you want your job to continue for the next 5 10 15 20 years or more we've got to adapt and for all of our kind of strutting about and look how clever we are because we spent 180 million pounds a year to make a car go half a second a lap quick around a circuit we're not very good at doing other things quickly. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time for this industry to take things on and change and actually adapt. Yeah. And I think I never thought I would look up to NASCAR and say, wow, NASCAR, well done. Like, but <laughs> kudos to them. They realized that there was a risk of alienating a small portion of their um, fan base. Mm-hmm. But do you care about alienating the racists? <laughs> you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. So they made a stand because the reward, the potential reward for them, was greater. Exactly, was much, much greater and was widening their audience. And I think this is what is so simple and clear to me and everybody that works, you know, sort of with us on this um, Driven by Diversity um, Alliance, is that this is not saying well there's you know we want to whittle it down so that we're only looking at this tiny portion of society to fill the jobs that exist we're looking at an expansion of our sport and it's an expansion of the audience an expansion of the driver talent an expansion of the the talent that can work in this industry not a reduction of it and it's so easy mm-hmm. i think for people the people who shout the loudest like with all these things the trolls and everybody who's mm-hmm. commented on a we races one you know sort of, yeah um post to say oh you know bloody mm mm-hmm we know yeah. them well yeah, exactly. yeah we have all seen them <laughs> um and I think that it's very easy to kind of pick on that thing of being like well it shouldn't matter whether someone's male or female or what color they are and it's like yeah and that's all we're trying to that's do the point. that's yeah. the whole point point. and I think it's mind-blowing to me that more people you know and I say people as in the people who don't want to get it and um, don't understand it but I know that the vast majority of people in this industry are really good people who are very well aware of their privilege of working in this industry mm-hmm. as well as all their you know the the white privilege that anybody who is white in this industry has has been afforded in their life um but I don't think there are many people who want to put their hand up and say that we could do better or that they've done the wrong things or that they need to learn or change or adapt because this industry does not make it very easy for people to be honest about how they feel about things or to be vulnerable because you show a bit of vulnerability and there's a hundred people waiting to take your job and everybody is reminded of that on a daily basis like sometimes verbally and
1: and do you think that's true as well is that well-founded
2: i think it is unfortunately to a degree um i mean i've managed to struggle on for 20 years. There <laughs> plenty of people, I'm sure, who would have much preferred that I didn't. Um, but yeah, I think when you create a culture like that where you know that there's more of a demand for people to come into the industry than there is in terms of the supply of jobs, yeah, it automatically creates that feeling of like, oh, I better protect my little bit of, you know... Sort of, you know Don't um,
0: speak out too loudly as well against the norm yeah don't speak out too loudly against the norm don't call out behavior maybe that
2: should be called out that you would normally Mm. in general society or that if a friend told you that somebody had behaved like that at work you'd be horrified and you'd be telling them to ring hr and i think you know sort of we've got to we've got to take that really really seriously and i think if we want to be welcoming to a wider group of people even if you just extend that to just just to women right we've got to actually make it more welcoming And not make it feel like it is just a boys club. We've actually got to proactively do it. It's not just going to happen of of its own volition. It really, really isn't. And if people are too afraid to say, I actually feel really uncomfortable because of this situation, or can you not make a joke like that? Because you might think that's funny, but there's other people here who Mm -hmm. probably don't think that that's funny or that your behavior is crossing a line. Nothing will change. Absolutely not.
0: Yeah. It really won't. What's your experience been in the industry as a woman? I've definitely had some really unpleasant experiences, hands down. And I think they are
2: probably more at the beginning of my career when you're sort of younger anyway. To start with, you know, I was 17 when I started working in this industry. Yeah. Um, and you're very aware of the position that you're in because you feel very lucky and you're very grateful and you don't want to upset anything and it's all boys and you have to go along with the banter. And I think I do, there's some really, really unpleasant things that go on in this industry. Absolutely do. Like every industry and like every part of life. Okay. But when there's the gloss, like there is in things like the music industry, film and TV industry of being lucky to be there, not wanting to talk out, not, not being enough jobs to go around or you have to kind of um it's a small enough industry that your reputation really matters it's very very easy for people to get away with behavior that they wouldn't normally get away with it's like this sort of boys club where if you're if you want to get on and you know sort of you're new or you're at the early stage of your career maybe you're younger Or maybe you just find the banter funny like this. I'm sure there's some women who are just like they're cool with it because they like the banter. Like I'm not suggesting that everybody's sort of, you know, clutching their pearls and and in disgust at the way that people behave. But it's really hard to stick your hand up sometimes and say, no, like this isn't acceptable. And I've, I've, you know, walked out of events before I've made formal complaints to, you know, sort of superiors before because of the the way that some people have behaved and on the whole, most of those complaints have never gone any further than that because there isn't a structure. And I think it's the same with sort of the diversity sort of discussions that are going on at the moment. Like in any industry, again, if you ask the people who work for you what they think about, you know, diversity because they maybe are a different colour or come from a different background or they're a different gender or maybe their, um, you know, sort of sexual orientation is, is different to the norm, they are very unlikely in my experience and as far as I'm concerned to tell you the truth to tell you the, the cold hard truth that you need to hear and I think relying on people who are you know who you pay essentially who are relying on you in, a, in the middle of a global pandemic to tell you how they actually feel about the way that a business operates I, I don't think you're going to get clean data and that's the one thing that really wants is clean data how, how they go faster and it's no different with this so I do think there's a lot that needs to be done a huge amount that needs to be done
1: yeah I think we've seen in the last um, month or two as well especially on um, the motorsport community on twitter with the the hashtag motorsport me too movement mm-hmm. going around so it it seems like obviously there are a lot of women within the industry that, that share similar stories and these stories are starting to come out and people are starting to get called out for this behaviour because obviously it's wrong and it shouldn't be happening. What your views on what's happening with that at the moment? Yeah,
2: and I, I've spoken to a number of the people who've been involved in, in those sorts of instances, some of whom I don't know at all. Yeah. Um, and have never sort of met in person or didn't even know that they existed until those stories came up. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I think when women are bonding with each other, even though they don't know each other, about sexual assault stories, that's not great. No, That's not great at all. Um, And I know that any time I've ever had, um, you know, the sort of opportunity to employ somebody female, which, um, you know, if they're sort of the right person for the job, one of the first things I do is give them a, a list of people that they should probably avoid. And that's something that shouldn't have to happen. Like, as as one
1: of, you know, like the, the tick boxes that you get on your new new day at work and yeah. the new starter pack, that's not something, you know, that really mm. is the normal, should be the normal.
2: No, like, here's the health and safety induction. Oh, and by the way, here's, yeah. here's a list of guys. Yeah. I mean, you know, if any sort of guys are, are listening to this, and don't get me wrong, I have some absolutely incredible male friends in this industry who have helped with situations like this before, have seen these things happening and have, you know, either got involved and physically removed people or, you know, have gotten into tussles with people or have seen like an atmosphere brewing and have just said, I think it's about time we got you back to the hotel because I just don't really like the way that this is going in here. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, be eternally grateful for all those people for actually stepping in. And I think any of the guys that are listening, it's like with the, the sort of wider diversity issue. We can't have diversity if the people who are like the incumbent kind of majority mm-hmm. don't help. So it's no different with this. And I, I think it can feel quite overwhelming sometimes if you're a guy and you don't really know like a, a woman particularly well or something like that, you don't want to be bowling in and being like, Hey, this man hassling you because it <laughs> might be like, you might be perfectly fine with it, but yeah, you might be absolutely not fine with it. Yeah. And I think I would absolutely encourage any guy because I've I've had this a lot. I've, I've been speaking, you know, a lot for years about these sorts of incidences and the things that happen to me personally, and the fact that every time I talk out about them, I get an influx of other women who mm-hmm. either know or don't know. Some of whom I've known for years and are just like, "Oh, can I tell you about the time when?" And you're like, "Yeah, of course you can." And like, I'll be here as a sounding board and um, mm-hmm. you know, a confidential kind of ear. But I also get a load of guys who say, "What? No, come on, that doesn't happen." Mm-hmm be ridiculous like you're making us all look bad and it's like no we're not like because if you've not done anything wrong then you haven't got anything to. And do.
1: you're okay yeah.
2: exactly but i would really really encourage any guy you know sort of listening to this who works in the industry or even if, if they don't if you know somebody well enough to kind of just say you know is there anything i can help you with like would you if we're on a night out and if someone's bothering you i please know that I'm an ally and if you just need to give me a certain signal or you send me a message or something I'll come and help because I think a lot of the times in those situations regardless whether you're in a work situation nobody wants to be the person screaming and hollering about yeah because it can make things worse sometimes but also yeah nobody then wants to be the subject of gossip about you know what someone was screaming and hollering about or you know sort of the next day everyone's saying oh you never guess what happened last night And I think it's a really, really difficult kind of area to kind of tread because we do need the help of the the good guys to do something about it Um, and to call out the behavior that they see, the sort of toxic kind of masculinity culture, if they see it, recognize it and say, don't speak to that person like that. And um, like I say, I've got lots of people in the industry who I've worked with for years who absolutely do that for me and um, have done for years. And they would do that for other people as well. And yeah, it's, um, it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen anywhere in the world. It certainly shouldn't happen while you're at work. And it certainly no happen when you're in a minority and there's not people yeah. willing to, to talk about it to. And you've told us before as well that you've worn a ring on your hand to sort of bat off any unwanted yeah. attention. No, right. not engaged. Yeah. <laughs> not to be engaged. But sometimes the only defense that you have is to dress modestly so that you don't mm-hmm. attract any attention. I never wore makeup. Never ever wore makeup. I always wore, um, you know, sort of plain dark colours. Unless I was in team kit, in which case you wear the ugly team mm. kit. It doesn't quite fit. <laughs> you're the only girl, and they've gone. Ah, we just give her a size extra small, and you're like, that's not going to work <laughs> in a men's cut. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't know how women's bodies are. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you know, I've always dressed modestly, and I remember really, really clearly being at uh, MoGP, Catalunya huge event at Monster and I had almost the whole Monster comms team there with me from what I remember and you know a lot of them were women and one of the girls um, Christina um, from Czech Republic she said to me you must be absolutely boiling because you're in black skinny jeans and a black t-shirt how how why are you not in a pair of shorts it's like 40 degrees and like 100% humidity out here and I said if I have to go to a meeting which I regularly have I have to run in and out meetings all day with different people um and I'm wearing like a little strappy top or a little pair Mm -hmm. of shorts I feel so uncomfortable and again that's personally me I would yeah I wouldn't dress like that normally but I would feel so uncomfortable because I would be the only woman in that environment that I actually would feel really really conscious of what I was wearing and I don't want to feel uncomfortable when I'm running around all day when I've got a yeah all day ahead. at work as well oh, exactly and that's always a thing to remember here at work like mm-hmm. out in a bar not out with your mates not on holiday at work and again that's something like I kind of have to like actively think about which most guys get up in the morning and just put on whatever Chuck something mm-hmm. on. Don't even think about it do they so but yeah I just think it's um it's so easy to kind of help people in those situations and yeah. it's so easy to pass that information on I'll always be really honest with people about you know okay well yeah you might want to go and work for that team but can I tell you some stories maybe or some things about my experiences of working with them or my very close friends have you know experiences working with them mm. The reality of it not to scare you but to give you the information yeah Absolutely.
1: I think that's actually really valuable because with any job, regardless of what industry it's in, you don't actually know what it's going to be like until you're there. And then once you're there, it's already late. So it's really helpful to have that um, kind of network of contacts who have had an experience within a company or within a certain area that can tell you the truth and the realities of it. And then you can take from that what you will and make an informed decision
0: about how you go forward with it. Exactly, Steph. And it's through those conversations as well that you hopefully will eventually root out the bad people If no one's ever communicating to anyone else the experiences that they've had, you're never going to identify who those people are and you're never going to be able to get rid of them. But on a wider level, like you said, individual action needs to be taken, but we have initiatives like Driven by Diversity now that are trying to address the lack of diversity and feed in a more healthy environment into the industry. Could you tell us a bit about some of the things that Driven by Diversity are working on at the moment?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we have been talking with Formula One right from the get go when they announced the We as One campaign. We've been working with various different projects and initiatives who have been doing this for years already, and whether that's to do with gender or to do with sexual orientation or to do with um physical ability our main focus this year was to focus on the racial inequality side of things just because you know sort of i've got a lot of experience of working with different athletes and different people in the industry in a way that like sort of mentioned earlier that a lot of people maybe don't because stick within the f1 circus and it is it's the same people every round you might be going to a different country but it's the same people every round who are there um whereas i've you know worked with every know we've had drivers that we've had to kind of stop test days so that they could go and pray and um, Mm. people who've got physical disabilities that have meant we've had to adapt cars for them and take into consideration like transportation and things like that to make sure that they're accommodated properly so we you know we reached out to all of those organizations that we've already known for years and just said look what where are you struggling how is it because you can't get sponsors do you need you know, court responses. What is the problem with you finding those corporate responses? Is it because up until now nobody's cared about the, you know, the, the diversity word or, you know, sort of what are the roadblocks and how can we help you get to them? Because the benefit of myself and all the people that are associated with this and my wider network and all of their wider networks is that we know the right people to speak to about everything. So we can cut straight to the quick and say, mm-hmm. right, how are we going to solve this? So, F one as an example, I emailed Ross um, Braun, who I've you know sort of worked with for years, and just said, "Look, we've got this alliance. We can help you guys." And he was just like, "Great intro to the right people," Mm -hmm. and off we went. So we're talking to the various different departments. One about how we can help to increase their sort of diversity on screen from like an on talent sort of side of things, um, which will mostly be from 2021 onwards. And, you know, how we can integrate some of these projects and initiatives that have been running for years and how they can help to get funding, um, maybe corporate partners, um, individuals who uh, may be struggling to get their foothold in the industry from a point of view of on screen talent, behind the scenes stuff. So anything that we work on, we will then involve, It won't just be us doing it we'll involve someone who's like new to the industry you know like with with you guys or other people that maybe want to get like some production experience for example um we're working on a big broadcast tv special um that will go out in the us in october and again there's opportunities there for us to give experience to people who want to get into the industry who have maybe already got the skills but they work in different industry but want to get Mm -hmm. into yeah. Um. So that they then got something on their CV because it is impossible to get into the industry. It's like, mm-hmm. if you've got no experience, how do you get in? Yes. Or yeah. if you don't know someone, how do you get in? And yeah. it's as simple as finding somebody who can see the talent in you. And obviously, there's plenty of people who want to work in this industry who probably don't have the skills or the talent, just like in any industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The people that do have the skills and the talent, if you recognize it and then find projects for them to work on so that the very least they can get some work experience that is like hands-on meeting people Mm -hmm. in the industry as soon as you've met a few people in the industry and you show that you've got a brain that you're on time that you're like smart you're happy to work hard you're done like you're in it's really really as simple as that and obviously from an engineering point of view it's completely different where it comes to education and those sorts of things but again like we're looking at how to attract more sort of talent into engineering that isn't just white guys essentially you know and the sort of more women are coming into engineering now and um, but how can we then look at all those other areas that need um, some more role models to show and I do think that there's enough people in this industry already from lots of different backgrounds that can be really really great role models like the people that we're talking to on this pod mm-hmm. yeah for sure and they're not necessarily team principals they might not be, yes you know sort of on television but who cares they've still done it you know and it's it sometimes can be as simple as showing people that there's someone that looks like you in this industry and that it's okay because for every one person like myself who i never once got up and thought woman in no sport Ooh, how am i gonna get through this it's never crossed my mind i just did it i just did mm-hmm. it yeah but, for every person who behaves in that way and has the confidence to go and do that without seeing somebody that looks like them, there are a hundred people who need a role model or who need, someone yeah. say, hey, it's okay, I can do it, so can you. Yes, I'm yeah. Assuming definitely. that everybody can just get in and get on with it, and if you can't, then you're not cut out.
1: Yeah, it's nonsense. It's absolutely nonsense for some people it's a source of motivation as well seeing someone that they can see themselves in and they can go oh yeah okay well I can do that then as well like just having that behind it too even if they do have the confidence to to go forward and and sort of reach their goal
2: right and i think you know even if you just look at like the on screen talent side of things why wouldn't you want to see different people on screen like i don't want to look at the same oh wow. you're talking about motors i mean not that i watch it but <laughs> exactly <laughs> but you know like, there are people around the world who are don't know that they're motorsport fans yet but they might become a motorsport fan because one day they turn it on and it isn't just the same people who have been doing it for the last 20 years it's something but... that appeals to them exactly i mean i just that is a no-brainer to me it's an absolute no-brainer so there's there's loads of projects and initiatives that have been going on for years one that we're working with in philadelphia that we've worked with for a long time the urban youth racing school they've been doing this for 22 years they've had a thousand kids go through their program and they amazing you know sort of work with youth urban youth to get them into stem-based careers through the sort of you know through the kind of angle of motorsport and it's like well, they've been doing it for 22 years. They didn't wait for someone to tell them that diversity was the thing in 2020. They just got on with it. So, you know, and they've got big backing for big corporate sponsors. So there are people that have been doing this, like Niall at the Blair Project and um, lots and lots of other people that have been doing these things. And um, sometimes it's just connecting them to the right people because they've been banging on the wrong door or even yeah. banging on the right door. The person whose door they're banging on has got 4 million other things to be doing and doesn't see the value in it. So by us saying, okay, you're saying this, you can achieve this. And this is what this person wants to achieve from this. You just need to change the way that you're talking about it and talk about it in these terms, because we know that part of it. We know what the industry wants to get out of everything that they do. You just need to tweak it a little bit and explain it that you can solve this problem for them. And
0: all of a sudden people go, oh, this is great. Why haven't we been doing this for you? <laughs> you tell us. You're like connecting the dots between yeah. the different ends. I think we can basically be a a really effective translator. Sometimes it Mm. needs to be is just to
2: say, no, no, no. You're going about this the wrong way. Your, your product is great. Your service is great. Your idea is great, but they only care about this bit. So only talk about this bit and then you'll be talking their language. And all of a sudden people go, Oh, they answered my email straight away and said, yes. And you're like, yeah, but that's the thing. If we've got that knowledge, how difficult is that? Not difficult, not difficult at all but it connects people to achieve what they want to achieve. I mean, I just, I don't know why why you wouldn't want to do that. Like, to me, that is just a complete no-brainer. Well, hopefully people
1: see that, that it works and can continue doing it and practice what you're
2: doing, because it's obviously working. This crossed, hey? <laughs> I, mean, I think the, the, the one sort of overarching thing for me that, you know, sort of of all of this is... If we don't try, we'll never know whether it works or not, right? And I'm a great believer in that. Always thinking like, is this a good project to start with? Is this a good idea? Is this a good concept? Is it a good piece of content? But also, are we doing it with the eye on, is this person you know, sort of the best person to be doing the job? Absolutely, regardless of color, gender, anything like that. But also, doesn't just have to be choosing someone that you already know, or that it's someone's son or daughter, or someone that's been around for a long long time try new people see what Mm -hmm. happens you know shake it up a bit there's no negative as far as I'm concerned because if you try it and it doesn't work you'll work out very quickly who's talented and who's not we're not doing it for tokenist reason there are people out there who've got great ideas and perspectives on things doesn't need to be any more complicated than giving them the opportunity to show how good they are
0: It's rare for someone in the industry to have touched on the many areas of motorsport that Lynn's has. Like she said, most people specialise within a certain field or series, so her expertise and experience within the sport as a whole is almost unrivaled.
1: Yeah, it just goes to show that to work in the sport, you don't need to have all of the latest technical knowledge that might put some people off considering a career in this area. Just make sure that you're passionate about the role that you're going into. So, for example, marketing, engineering, hospitality, etc. And then apply it to the industry that you want to work in.
0: Yeah, definitely. And Linz has used her knowledge across such a range of categories. And now she's using her skills to help address the lack of representation by co-founding Driven by Diversity and paving the way for conversations like the ones we have here on this podcast to unfold.
1: Absolutely, Arianna. It's really important that we listen and take steps to address the imbalance. And I know that we both appreciated her honesty in sharing her experiences of what it can be like to be a female in the industry. So it's important that we continue to talk about this so we don't continue to perpetuate the problem by inferring that it's acceptable behaviour. If you want to know more about the projects and initiatives Driven by Diversity
0: involved in, give us a follow on Instagram at wearedrivenbydiversity. That's all from us. We hope you enjoyed our catch-up with Lynns. Join us next Tuesday for another episode.